All right, it's Wednesday night at 7.30. That means it is the 573 report with myself and Mitchell Forty. Uh, thanks for joining us. About 15 minutes here. We are going to be adding Mizzou tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator Casey Woods to the conversation. But for the next few minutes, it's just us. So deal with it. Think up some uh, good questions for once Coach Woods gets on and uh, – and that's great. If you've got any questions for us, please feel free to uh, pop those in the chat. Comments, uh, compliments, uh, invitations to weddings, uh, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to do. But um, 573 Report is sponsored, um, you know, makes sense by 573Tees.com. You can go there. Uh, I know last week they had a special going and a lot of you guys did that. We appreciate that. Uh, I don't know of any specials going right now, but you never know. Just go to their website, check it out. And even if they don't have any specials, full price for a t-shirt isn't that bad. So uh, buy that, support a local business, support a sponsor. Appreciate that. Uh, Mitch, what's up, man? Not too much. I had to correct you right off the top and potentially it's damage your whole Wednesday, week, but it is a when it's a Wednesday <laughs> or it's a Tuesday. I mean, not Wednesday. Yeah. So sorry. Yeah. You got to, you got to make it through a whole nother day. Well, I mean, like David said, like every day is just the same. I, I frequently find myself going, what day is today? And then I, it doesn't really matter. It's just a day like yesterday and tomorrow. Uh, it was, it, it, this was originally supposed to be Wednesday though. Um, because, mm-hmm. Tuesday was supposed to be basketball, and then it wasn't. And uh, miraculously, then all of Kentucky's people are healthy to play on Wednesday but weren't healthy to play on Tuesday. And I'm not even going to kind of pretend I understand why that might be. Yeah, my best guess is they had one positive and either were testing to make sure and see if it's a false positive and it was, or I think probably more likely just trying to figure out the extent of contact tracing before they proceeded and making sure no one else tested positive and it didn't spread. But yeah, I don't know. I've long since stopped asking questions about why things happen the way they do in the virus era. It's uh, right. just kind of like, all right, just tell me when to show up to cover the game. <laughs> right. They're going to play a game. Um, we found out, I'm trying to think it was, Monday afternoon at about four o'clock. So a good 28 hours before tip off, which is really uh, pretty far in advance in this day and age, to be quite honest and uh, grateful for that. Um, I, I know Missouri was really happy to have this game happening because they've already lost two home games and losing a third when you don't know if you're going to be able to make it up. Like I just saw, uh, what is it? A&M and Vanderbilt is, postponed so losing another game that at this point you might not be able to make up would be fairly damaging especially a game that as weird as it sounds to say Missouri should win yeah I mean it would just you know it kind of stink to lose three home games and you know two of them at a minimum they're probably favored in LSU one's probably a little more of a toss-up although I still think Missouri's probably would be favored at Missouri Arena but yeah I mean like you know, it, that would be kind of tough luck. I think also, like, if it's just from a fan standpoint, like, you, you want to get a chance to play Kentucky this year because there's not many chances you have to, to beat Kentucky. In fact, Missouri's only beaten Kentucky once ever. I found that out today. So, uh, you know, they'll have another chance this week and in a, a more realistic chance than sometimes in the past. Yeah, I think it's 13-1 to 1, um, is the all-time mm-hmm. series. Uh, the one I remember, actually, I was not at. You were at. So. That's right. Uh, it was history. It was my making. first first game for Power Mizzou. That's right. It's 
Yeah, it has. I, you would have thought based on that trend that Mizzou would have done a little better in both sports over the past three years, but it's well, not my fault. Yeah, you know, it happens. It, it can't get any worse than, I believe, 89-36 was the Kim Anderson game in Rupp Arena. It was less than ideal. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, so uh, we don't expect last or tomorrow night to be uh, like that. But um, hang on, I am trying to work on some technology issues with our uh, upcoming guests. So, Mitch, I don't know if you can talk about Kentucky basketball and why they're awful for a couple minutes. That'll help me. All right, I'll talk about them a little bit. Feel free to drop comments or questions if anyone wants to chat basketball. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I grew up in Kentucky. I've watched them play a little bit this season. First of all, like, you know, just a lot of the teams that are dealing with a lot of young players, uh, one and, you know, potential one and done type players, true freshmen, um, multiple of them are, are struggling. I mean, you know, there was not a lot of preseason practice, not a lot of time to acclimate. You know, not a lot of time, not as much time spent around the team outside of basketball. Um, so, you know, that's uh, that's been a challenge for, you know, teams like Duke and North Carolina and Kentucky. Um, and, and Kentucky just really, they can't score is their big thing. They shoot worse than Missouri from three-point range, which is hard to do. Um, they're 29% on the season. Um, they, you know, they, they've got some, you know, they've got some guards who are talented, but they just they don't play incredibly well together at times, at least from what I've seen in, in games, they've struggled. Um, so they're, they're, you know, it's not like this is an easy win by any means. They are still a, kind of a tough matchup for Missouri in the sense that they have a really long athletic defense. They, they can test everything at the rim. I think they're fourth in the country in blocks. And we saw against Auburn, Missouri struggled with that a little bit, you know, it's the same thing against Tennessee the first time a team that, that can, you know, can keep you from getting easy baskets at the rim. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I think if Missouri tightens up its defense and just, you know, doesn't let Kentucky get to the rim like they have the last couple teams and, and also is just better on the offensive glass because Kentucky is our defensive glass. Kentucky is a very good offensive rebounding team. And I like uh, Missouri's chances. Yeah. So. Kentucky's issues your... seem to be playing in the last five minutes of games. So really all you've got to yeah. do is, is stay within striking distance of them until then. And, uh, and you're set. Um, you know, I, Alabama finished on like a 12-3 run or something like that. And Kentucky basically can't close anything out. I know Calipari said during his press conference today, I just want him to be able to play better at the last five minutes. He also indicated some of his players might not be at the game, but it didn't have anything to do with COVID. Uh, so things seem to be going yeah. well in Lexington, much, I'm sure, to your chagrin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh... – it's 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 wild. It's very strange here there. And I will say you, you still talked about the key to beating Kentucky is just get a close game in the last five minutes. There is an actual ironclad key to beating Kentucky this season. They have scored 75 points or more or 76 or more in all five of their wins and 65 or fewer in all 10 of their losses. So I don't what? know exactly where the magic number is, but it's somewhere around 70. If they don't get there, they're not winning. Uh, what happens if they score between 65 and 76 eventually? That would be cool. That's what I said. We got to figure out the magic number. It's somewhere in the middle <laughs> yeah yeah um so we'll roll through uh some of these contact or comments not contacts before uh before casey woods jumps on in a few minutes uh eric says to prepare for his energy he could convince me to run through a wall we were talking before the show i mean we only anticipate having to ask about four questions to fill the hour so we like that <laughs> you know that's yeah. uh that's good um davin is wanting to know about your uh your fandom growing up you were a louisville fan right yeah i was 
Yeah, during the uh, like, who were the Louisville players when you were uh, not in basketball? I mean, that when you were growing. Yeah, up? Well, the, I mean, there's. I mean, I I you know followed Louisville very closely from the time I was probably like five until I graduated high school. Um, and my senior year of high school was the year they won the national title. Oh, okay. Um, which has since been since been reclaimed, but we yes. saw it happen. I believe I. Uh, uh, yeah, I, that was so, the Peyton so Siva team, of, right? Yeah, Peyton Siva, yeah. Gorky Jang. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, Luke Hancock. So I watched uh, Peyton Siva thoroughly embarrass Negus Webster Chan in a ballroom in uh, the Bahamas that year, actually. Oh. Yeah, yep, same year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Wait, yeah, were you I, at I, that I, game, really? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. No, I said same year. Yeah. No, I was I was actually uh, at that game. I was, uh, it was enjoyable. I was at the uh, I was at the the first round tournament site that I think you were also at that year when Louisville uh, played Colorado State in the second round after yes. after Louis, after Colorado State beat Missouri in the first round. I was at that Colorado State Missouri game as a fan because that one was in Lexington. I was not at that particular game because I had driven home by that point. But yeah, that was mm-hmm. a uh, that was that was a terrible uh, game. I think that was Missouri's. Uh, last NCAA tournament before Conzo's first year. Yep. Yep. So, it was. Yeah. So good times. Um, Dan is asking about Nolan Arenado as if I would be I'm like, that's fine. I mean, it's an incredibly <laughs> stupid trade for Colorado to have made, but um, like good for the Cardinals, you know, um, it doesn't, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't really bother me one way or another. Um, good for them. We'll see how it goes. Uh, a lot of a lot of Cameron Fletcher questions. I feel like we're going to get these for four years. A lot of cams here. We got Cam Cameron asking about Cameron Fletcher. That's yes. just Cameron overload. But I, I, <laughs> I enjoy that. But I, I feel like we're going to – and he says he hasn't watched a lot of Kentucky basketball lately. I can't say I have either, honestly. I, I mean, well, I've not seen I can tell seen you that Cameron, Cameron Fletcher has not played since that – time he like pounded and right. left the game or something like that i mean it's, but he hasn't played in 2021 i know that so i would think it's safe to say he's in the doghouse yeah and uh that seemed to be kind of the plan um uh so hang on one second um yeah we don't know if he's gonna transfer basically mitch right i need you to fill for another 30 seconds yeah yeah, no, I mean, like, until, you know, obviously, as of now, he's still on Kentucky's roster, so you can't say for sure. I mean, it's it's very, it's possible, certainly. Um, I don't know. There's talks that, like, he and Cal have ironed things out, and he's going to stick it out, but, like, no no one really knows, I, so yeah. we'll see. Uh, I don't, I also don't know how interested Missouri would be. I would guess they would, you know, at least, at least kick the, the tires on that one, but who knows? Yeah, so I know that, uh, I know that, Casey Woods is uh, is on our call right now. He is uh, currently uh, okay. He's gonna uh, he's gonna switch his video and sound on here in a second, and uh, we will uh, we will add him to the call because frankly, I assume that much like when Eli Drinkwitz was on last week, you guys would much rather hear from him than from Mitchell and I. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know. I know that we are incredibly popular and i can hear uh casey somewhere back there can you hear me casey i can hear you yeah either that or okay. a small child who's in your house yeah, well i got one of those two running around here i am trying to figure out how to turn on my uh video here if i can yeah i attempted to to uh figure that out on my end but i uh i didn't know how to do it but hey uh, 
we can uh, we can go right now audio wise until uh, until you you do find that button and and that's fine it, it works everybody can hear you and uh, and that's cool so who are we talking to there besides you <laughs> so that's my little girl Adeline she's down here and I got my son Sawyer and my other daughter's making Valentine's for her kindergarten class so bless my wife's heart she had a roast ready for me when I got home it was delicious and then put her right back to work so she's got she earns uh her being on full scholarship herself so <laughs> yeah I, I was gonna say how's that work like I I've heard that coaches tend to work long hours uh so I assume your wife puts in long hours as well oh she's she's works probably a lot harder than I do so it's um she is uh she does a great job and uh very fortunate to um, have her boy. She takes care of me. Lot, probably a lot better than I take care of her. So. <laughs> but she's great. Well, yeah. Casey, I kind of wanted to start with this with you. Um, normally this at least 2018 and before 2019 and before this would be the eve of like one of your guys' biggest days of the year and everything would be happening tomorrow. And it would be, I'm sure insanity for like 12 hours. And now it, this is just this signing day kind of has become an afterthought. What's what's kind of your opinion on on how much it's changed and how different is tomorrow going to be for you guys than it would have been a couple years ago? Well, it's uh, radically different, Gabe. It's um, you know I think that we all kind of thought it at the you know when they first presented the idea of the mid year of the early signing period. I think that there may have been kind of a public perception that okay, well we'll have this. Uh, I think the original intent of it was, okay, you've had these guys committed for a year. They can go ahead and sign, and then you finish the recruiting process through February. Um, I'd, I think the what happens realistically with that, particularly you know when you're in a hyper-competitive environment uh, like college football recruiting, um, you got a bunch of guys that are competitive, and if you say you're committed to me and you ain't willing to sign you know, on – December, are you really, how committed are you? You know, mm -hmm. so it's, I think that what all we did is we didn't create two signing days. We just pushed forward signing day. So I think that that's uh, what we've seen come. Certainly this year was such a unique year where guys understood that there was no, uh, that their recruiting experience was not going to be the same as everyone as previous classes. So they were ready in December, probably more ready than any class has been in the last, since I remember the last five years for sure. And, um, and they were ready and, and we were, you know, very blessed to have a great class that joined us early and stuck with us the whole time. And, you know, we didn't have anybody, we didn't have a decommitment, I don't believe. And, um, we had guys come in and, and be a part and, and, uh, and we're really anxious and, and ready to jump on with us in December. Casey, just kind of along the same lines of, you know, changes to, uh, to the recruiting cycle, I guess, just, you know, how, how much has the, the transfer portal and the number of guys that are in there and, you know, the possibility of, of, you know, a potential, uh, you know, immediate eligibility ruling, how much has that just changed roster management and recruiting from your all standpoint? Um, I believe that we've probably hit, um, the peak of everything that could possibly change it with this year, given, um, <laughs> given that our senior class has now become, you know, a potential uh, re-senior class. And, you know, now we're having to uh, potentially adjust everyone's classification through the course of this entire thing. Certainly you mentioned the transfer portal and all the conversation that's gone on this year. 
Um, certainly, we think that the NCAA will make a ruling in the next year on, or even six months probably, on one-time transfers and what that's going to look like. Um, I, I think the portal, uh, th there's some uniqueness to this particular year. I think it's gained more momentum because of the opt-out options and because of the one-time transfer options. I don't know that, um, you know, the transfer rule has always been in place. You've always been able to transfer. I guess it's probably easier now that you don't have to go uh, maybe have that conversation with the coach about leaving. Um, but, I, you know, I do think that it's created flexibility, certainly with the graduate transfer portal, what they were able to do with that a few years back is, has given guys, and, uh, you know, it rewards them uh, for going and attacking their school the way that they should and taking care of their business in the classroom. And when they do that, that gives them um, a little bit of flexibility. Certainly, I think there's an air of free agency that exists, which is um, a, a new world for us at this level. Um, but we've got a team that's been ready and we've responded to every action that exists. And we know that we've got to be on the front end of, of doing this. I do think that, um, you know, the roster that we inherited had some, uh, places where, uh, the bet we're going to benefit from, from this year and being able to utilize, you know, more years or utilize this, um, uh, the, the transfer portal and, and able to fill some of these holes, uh, that may have potentially been there for, for next year's team. Uh, Casey, I've been pretty outspoken since they ruled on it back for for spring athletes last year about how much this, hey, just free year of eligibility was going to uh, kind of screw everything up, frankly, for the next five years. I'm, you mentioned it a little bit, but from your guys' point of view and having to go through recruiting kids and all that, I mean – when you're recruiting kids now, are you getting many questions about, hey, what's your roster going to look like two and three years down the road? And and do you guys even really have any idea what your roster is going to look like two or three years down the road? Because Connor Bazelak could still be starting like when I retire, uh, I think, based on the eligibility. <laughs> God willing. Yeah. Um, no, uh, we are. Uh, uh, there has certainly uh, been some conversation with that. I think it's so new that I don't know that everyone has has got a full grasp on what that's going to look like right now, you know? So um, I do think that there will be flexibility moving forward. Certainly that's going to create um, <clears throat> other opportunities for certain people, and it may reduce opportunities for certain people. I think that um, – I think there's a blessing in there that, you know, potentially that what such an uncharacteristic year that there's, you know, mechanisms for you to, to get this year back. Um there's not been, honestly, a whole lot of conversation through the recruiting process about what it is, um, you know, about how we're going to approach that. Uh, obviously, in-house, uh, we're handling a lot of that. Um, the NCAA has given us this one-year reprieve of our 85 um, ceiling that we had, which obviously lifts from the 81 that we had from the uh, previous probation. And um, so really get a boost this year on that. Um but but in the future, uh, I'm not sure that we don't have to get it back to that 85. Right now, the 2022 team will have to be back at 85. So I think that there'll that'll balance itself out faster than you probably think. I assume that the NCAA could come back and say anyone affected by this particular year uh, has the flexibility of moving you know above that 85 mark. But if they move it back down to 85, uh, it's going to have to normalize faster than probably people expect it to. 
Casey, uh, more of a question here about, you, you know, your career. And I know uh, people have talked a lot. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, your time at UAB. And I think we'll, we'll get to that with the question. But uh, I talked to you, I guess it was almost a year ago now. And, and you told me that uh, your first job in, as a college coach after you were a, a GA at Tennessee was basically working for free at Auburn. And that's kind of how you came into the orbit of Eli Drinkwitz. Uh, I guess just kind of wanted to ask, how did you end up working for free? And like, how did you survive that year? <laughs> Well, that's a good question. I think when we're all desperate enough to get in this, in whatever profession it is you're chasing, um, you know, you're willing to do a lot of things. Um, I was, I played for a guy named Trooper Taylor, um, who did a world for me in my career, and he's at Duke University now, and, and he had landed on Gene Chizik's original staff in 2009 there at Auburn. Um, I actually had, um, well, we, uh, to make a long story long here, um, <laughs> I, so I went in and uh, we finished. Coach Fulmer got let go at the end of the 2008 season. I had played for him, worked for him for the first year. Uh, Coach Kip, Lane Kippen came in, and he was working. And, and so we kind of had a transition period there where we were working for him. And he hired Coach Ogeron and his father and some people. And so they kind of let the entire GA room uh, go there in January. So we worked for him through um through December, we got let go there in January. So, um, you know, I, I went to the coaches convention, which was in Nashville in 2009, and um, had a meeting with a guy uh, by the name of Herb Hand, um, who was at the time had just taken the offensive coordinator job at Tulsa. And that job was freed up by a guy named Gus Malzon, who had just left to go be the office coordinator at Auburn. <laughs> so I met with uh, Coach Hand and had, they had a graduate assistant opportunity. Mike Norvell had just been elevated from graduate assistant to full-time. He was like the inside receivers coach or something. So it, it was his job that opened up, and, and we were working. Essentially, I, I got offered that job there at Tulsa. So um, I was, at the time, boy, that's what I had going. I was excited. I was planning on going out there. Um, they kind of had some staff disruptions about this time of year. And it was had something to do with their full-time staff and what was going on there. And so uh, it, my hiring kind of got delayed by two or three weeks. And so I was on my couch in Knoxville um, and coach and trooper called me and said, Hey, you need to come down here and meet this guy, Gus Malzahn. And so I did. So I got up one day and drove down to um, Auburn and the I, funny story. So I pulled into Auburn and it was pouring rain, pouring rain. And the first guy, uh, that opened the door of the Auburn football complex was Curtis Looper. So he had just been hired, and that's the first time that I'd met him and came in and was able to interview with Coach Malzahn and met with Coach Chiswick. And, um, and Coach Malzahn said, you know, at the end of everything, I, th you know, he, he, I was appreciative that he wanted me, and he said, man, worst-case scenario, uh, we can get you in this dorm room and uh, you can eat on the training table. And so I said, okay, well, worst case scenario. And so I kind of presented a couple other ideas about, you know, maybe I could be an RA or maybe I can, he's like, oh yeah, camp money. And, but it was, it, it happened to be the worst case scenario. And so it was, um, <laughs> but I, you know, at the time um, I, I was in Knoxville and Auburn was considerably closer. Uh, my dad was coaching at VMI. So I, I hadn't been out as far West as Tulsa. I thought there was there was a great opportunity to stay in the SEC. Um, there was a great opportunity to latch myself on to uh, Coach Malzahn, who was you know just beginning a budding career right there, and and just God works things out for you sometimes. And so there was a delay right there at Tulsa, and I remember honestly the night that Coach Malzahn called me and offered me uh, the 
the volunteer position there at Auburn. Um, I it, I did, hadn't hung up the phone for 25 minutes, and Herb Hand called me back and said, "Hey, we got it worked out at <laughs> Tulsa." So it was it was sometimes you know the decisions get made for you, and so I was uh, very blessed to do that. You kind of ask how I made it, you know. I don't. I, I think we all remember how resourceful we were at that point in our life, and I had um, I had one credit card and I had a dorm room, and I lived off of. I think that I. I did the math, and they they did give us two camp checks that summer, and I lived off of about sixty seven hundred dollars for that year. Wow. And uh, the following February, they gave they gave me a job checking classes, and then I kind of slid into one of those QC roles for about nine thousand. And I thought that I'd arrived when I got that nine thousand. I thought, man, this is it. This is they're paying me to to be involved in football. So. Uh, Sorry to draw that out a little bit, but it was um, that that was a fun time in my life. I, being at Auburn at that time, I was uh, I was single, so I could work. I lived in the dorm right across the uh, street from the office, so I could you know I, I was just there constantly absorbing football and being around people, and I got to see firsthand. I got to work with Curtis Looper and Trooper Taylor in those fabulous classes that they put together in nine, ten, and eleven. And um, I got to be a part of, obviously, winning a national championship in football and what Coach Malzahn was doing, uh, cutting edge, which I still think that you see a spirit of that in our offense a little bit. And um, and Coach Chiswick, you know, he, he, he gave, a, gave me a chance to come in there and volunteer and, and was fortunate to be around great people. We won and, and kind of earned my way into the business. Well, Casey, if you, if you want to walk into Jim Sterk's office and tell him you'll volunteer next year, I'm sure he would probably be willing to listen. But uh, we're we're going to give you about 30, 60 seconds. See if if you log off and back on. If uh, if the video will get working. Um, if not, we'll okay. we'll continue this way when you come back. And we've got some questions from people watching and all that. But but we'll give you just a minute to to get that and uh, and hopefully I'll uh, I'll be able to add you right back in here pretty quickly. Perfect. I will try to get that done. Sorry about this. Thank you. No worries. So Coach Woods is just going to take a, a second to uh, to log out of this call and then log back in, and hopefully his video will uh, will work at that point in time. If not, we'll keep him on the phone. It's it's fine. Um, you know, it works. You guys can hear him uh, certainly. And yeah, I mean, Mitch, I don't know. We filled the first twelve minutes with like three questions, so I, I feel like <laughs> we're doing pretty well, to be quite honest with you. Um, about as we yeah, anticipated. Yep, yeah, yeah, we still we got some good questions uh, from from viewers lined up in the queue, so we're yep. doing well. We're uh, we we just gotta we'll get them on the screen here, and uh, and I feel like it won't take too much to to finish up the time. <laughs> yeah, and we do see uh, your questions, guys, and and we're definitely gonna get to those when uh, when Coach Woods gets back with us. Uh, so, um, you know, again, hopefully, hopefully, we'll have the. Uh, I've, hey, I'm just proud that for once the technical issues aren't on my end. Like this is a, this is a big moment for me. Um, you know, but, but we will, uh, we'll certainly get back to him as soon as he, uh, jumps back in and, uh, and hopefully you guys will be able to see him. It's very confusing. Cause when I look at my camera options, I actually have two different cameras. So I see me twice and I keep thinking I'm one of me as him, but it's not. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You all look slightly different. I mean, yeah. You yeah. Know. So I, gap, I look much more good. athletic. Uh, yeah. Um, so it, before he does uh, jump back on while signing day tomorrow, I mean, we're anticipating and he can't talk about this. And I want you guys to be clear when you're asking him questions like he can't talk about guys that haven't signed yet. He can talk about guys that signed in December, but not guys that, that haven't signed yet. Um, so we expect B.J. Harris, 
to be announced tomorrow. We expect the two uh, the two uh, transfers probably to be announced tomorrow. That's all we're anticipating, right? Yeah, so Jadarius Perkins, uh, I don't think has been officially announced, even though he's on campus, the junior college cornerback. Um, so he'll be, I think he'll be announced. And then, yeah, we'll get official announcements about Blaze Aldridge and maybe Mookie Cooper, although the school did already confirm his NLI. So uh, they, they might throw up a graphic for him as well. But that's all we're expecting. It's possible, you know, there's a surprise we don't know about, but, uh, you know that it wouldn't be a surprise then. So, <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and you know, and, and the thing about this year is, is that it's going to, I, I mean, it's going to last much longer, like with the transfer portal, like Casey was talking about. I mean, I, I think I saw Ross Dellinger tweet like 60% of the kids in the portal don't have anywhere to go yet. So this is yeah. going to go on through spring and, and much of the summer. Yeah, I mean, think back to last summer, you know, I, I think it was a little after this time that Missouri picked up Damon Hazleton, and then I think it was, like, July or so that they picked up uh, Kiki Chisholm. So, um, you know, June or July, late June, early July. So, I mean, you know, there is plenty of time. I think all the way pretty much up until classes start in the fall, there's the potential to, uh, you know, add a player or two if, if Missouri has the spots. Yeah, and we do uh, we do have Casey Woods back. It appears we have him back as a uh, blue Skype icon, which is fine. Uh, <laughs> you know, hey, the uh, the wonders of technology, man. We we battle this. Uh, we battle different things every week. I I always am fairly amazed when I even manage to uh, manage to get something live on the internet, and it appears that people can actually see it. So, um, well, I follow. I'll keep digging around on my phone here and see if I can get it going. But, yeah, but. yeah, no sweat. Uh, it, you know, um, what, what? Here's one thing I, I wanted to ask you, Casey, and this is going to sound real basic, but um, I, th I think a lot of people watching probably aren't super familiar with this. Obviously, you coach the tight ends, but you're also the recruiting coordinator. Can you just explain to all the people watching exactly what that means and what that entails, in, in addition to just kind of your duties every day of, of being an assistant coach? Um, yes. Uh, so, um, as the recruiting coordinator, I think I oversee that the, um, entire, uh, philosophy and evaluation, uh, kind of process of our entire recruiting department, you know, so, um, I, we do have, uh, um, currently five full-time members that are, that are in there with us and, and do a great job with us. And, um, but, you know, it's it's all about, I think, really coordinating uh, with the head coach on philosophy, on our recruiting areas, on our evaluation guidelines, just general procedure. You know, we have a recruiting handbook that every staff member gets that, that we've created from, you know, just the past and, and, and then mixing that with the goals that certainly Coach Drinkwitz has got moving forward. Um, from that standpoint, underneath, you know, we've got – uh, director, you know, we've got a chief recruiting officer. We've got a director of on-campus recruiting. We've got kind of a, a marketing director. We've got a director of player development underneath them as another line of people. So um, it's really uh, just overseeing all that. I think I think when we got here, there was an installation of that, right? Here's our recruiting philosophy. Here's our recruiting goals. Here's how we're going to operate in-house. Here's how we're going to market ourselves. And this is what we're going to sell. And then, you know, it, it's kind of a beast to get that rolling and going. And so um, we uh, are fortunate to have great people that work for us and with us that um, have had good experience. I've had more experience 
experience than others, but they've really uh, jumped into this thing. And so um, that's really what I do. At the end of the day, I, you know, I kind of as a hobby, uh, and maybe this is just uh, God working again there at UAB, I, I, obviously, I, I had a great experience at roster management. So I've kind of got a little bit of a hobby in that. And now is, uh, is, you know, obviously as unique a time as ever in managing a roster. So I, I do, I'm glad I, that I have that skill set and experience from UAB um, as, as we got to navigate these uh, current waters. But um, so I, I hope that answers your question and, and really does. Um, it, it's oversight of, of everything that we're doing. Plus, you know, when we've got, when coaches got new ideas about which way he wants to go or what we can do and, and organization of our signing classes and, and how we're going to approach recruiting them. Yeah. Uh, we w- we yeah, want to take, case, take sorry, ahead, a few of the questions from, from the people watching and, and Davin wanted us to ask you, did, did anything surprise you about Mizzou when you got here, whether it was about the job, about the, the program, about recruiting to, to this, uh, school, anything that, that surprised you in your first year? Yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't know how good it was. Um, <laughs> I, I think that um, I, I've had this experience a couple more times, honestly, and I, <clears throat> and I don't mean this. I, I'm just kind of drawing some parallels here. So, I, I mean, I went to Arkansas State. We went to UAB. Um, I, I thought at both of those places, similar to here, there's a little bit of uh, um, an untapped about it there's a little bit of uh, hasn't reached its fullest potential um, about it and um, there's obviously incredible uh, amount of support here um, there there is great tradition um, there's great history um, and there's obviously the recruiting base I thought would probably be pretty strong but I, I don't know that I knew um, how much room to grow there would be here and um, I, I think the very first thing that spoke to me when I rolled up on campus at, you know, 10.30 p.m. on December 15th of last year, whatever day that was, was seeing that $100 million facility. I mean, it's – it's. I played football at Tennessee. I've worked at Auburn. My dad was the head coach of South Carolina. I mean, I've seen every one of these places, and there's there's nothing like it. There's nothing – it's it's just, it's spectacular. And so just having that tool uh, lets you know that the people – um, that support the University of Missouri are interested in winning, you know, and they're interested in competing in this league and interested in uh, doing it the right way. And I think that um, that's a great thing that, we, you know, what Coach Drinkwitz has brought to this thing is is an SEC mindset and an SEC history that's come in. And we've got um, uh, a great opportunity to continue to push this thing forward um, to, to meet our ultimate goals. Okay, I see another uh, question from a, a viewer. This one you, you kind of touched on a, a little bit um, is, is just what did you learn specifically about, you know, recruiting and, and as you said, roster management from your time at UAB when you had to kind of build a roster from scratch? Um, well, I learned a lot when, I, you know, I showed up on campus day one and we had zero guys on scholarship. So we had to get to 85 within 18 months to kick off the 2017 season. And um, I Certainly, uh, you've got to do a great job of evaluating. You've got to do a great job of building, um, and you got to rely. Uh, you, you can't miss. You know what I mean? When you're going from zero to eighty-five, you, you can't miss because if you if you miss more than ten times, now you're playing with seventy-five. You know, it's it's different. So um, I, I thought we did a great job of having specific evaluations that had some influence from the places that you were bringing, but but I thought we were 
really, Coach Clark impressed upon us that we had to be great evaluators. And I thought one thing that I learned, you know, a long time ago, even from Coach Fulmer, was that if you get them on campus uh, and you got something to show them, then you got a chance to get them. So we had this, um, you know, that was one of the tenets of, of what it was we were doing at UAB. We had all these, you know, UAB at the time did not have a football facility that was worth anything, but we had a great uh, campus. We had a beautiful um, dining facility. We had unbelievable dorms. We had this great part of town that was just untapped. They'd never used that. You know, they, they focused on what they didn't have, which was, which they, and it was bad. You know, the football facility was bad, but we really tried to go in there and focus on what we could sell. And um, that's not like here. I mean, we got great things to sell here, but I thought that we, we did a great job there identifying what it was we could sell and what it was that attracted, that was attractive to people. And, you know, and um, I think at the end of the day, the biggest thing uh, that prospects are looking for is being genuine, you know, and it's whether you're whatever version of genuine you are, uh, they can tell, they can see when you're being real and when you're not. And if you say that family's first and then your family's never around or you don't talk about them or show them or your daughter isn't screaming on the background <laughs> when you're when you log on to the deal, then, you know, maybe you don't really, you, they can see through that. So um, I, I thought that, and then certainly the roster management piece. And, and sometimes that's just a puzzle, Mitchell, you know, it's um, okay. We got to, it's awesome that we got this other linebacker that's a senior, but we can't have six senior linebackers or we're going to be in trouble two years from now. So we got to find a way to, all right, we got to, here's this giant hole that we have um, maybe in our defensive line. So we got to make sure that we sign a good balance of older guys that can take the place of some of that, some of that hole as well as younger guys to develop underneath them. Um, which is an example that you saw this year as we were, you know, coming up. So um there was a ton learned there and um, got, got thrown right into the fire when we got here. <laughs> so yeah. it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been good to utilize that. And, and just, you know, I think there's an air of resourcefulness. Just go, you got, you got what you got and you got to attack it and then you got to improve what you're getting. And so we were um, able to take coach Drinkwitz's vision and, and apply that. And I, I don't know specifically, but I understand that it was, you know, we've probably signed one of the top three maybe classes in, in school history. So we're certainly proud that the only weapon that we had was Zoom. And so if we get to get a chance to really operate with, you know, a car and a handshake, then it may help. So, Well, it, it was the, uh, the top rated Missouri class ever by rivals. And so we appreciate after many, many years of hearing coaches say that they don't like recruiting rankings, we do like coaches to promote those rankings when uh, when it when it does them well. So, uh, so just just well, throwing that out there. No, well, we appreciate that, and it's you know th there's some relativity to it, but it also it's a measuring stick versus mm -hmm. who you're competing against at, at at worst. You know what I mean? And so it's um, and uh, we are. Um, it, it's not everything, but it is something. And, uh, you know, I think that we tried to have the goal, uh, like coach Drinkwood says of recruiting Missouri better than it's ever been recruited. And Missouri has been recruited good before. So it's, we understand that this, it's not, you know, been all bad all the time. So, uh, being able to, uh, restructure, refocus, make sure that we did a great job on that. And I, I think that we've, um, our, our staff's invested in that vision and, and we've really, uh, tried to do that and, um, we certainly believe that that'll pay dividends in 22 and 23 um, as we continue to move forward. 
Well, Clay asked a question, which is basically the equivalent of asking a, a football coach, like, tell us which of your three kids running around the house is your favorite. But he says uh, <laughs> he's, he's asking uh, of the incoming class, which which guys you think could have an immediate impact. And, and look, we don't expect you to, to single guys out necessarily, but just what has been your impression of uh, you've gotten to get a lot of these guys on campus already. I'm not sure how much you're getting to, to be around them and, and see them, but obviously the strength coaches are and all that. So, so what's kind of your early impression of these guys that have hit campus? No, I, uh, I think we're really pleased uh, with who's here right now, with the way that they look and the way that they're operating and the way that they're working. Um, we do have flexibility to be in the weight room some. Um, Friday mornings, we're, we're really attacking, um, you know, the, the, the goals that Coach Drinkwitz has got, you know, uh, pushing forward to make sure that we close the gap. And so we are um, – uh, we got a chance to do that, and and the guys that are here um, have great work ethic, and they've got uh, great hunger. And generally, I mean, guys that are mid-year guys do that. You know, not not that those that won't show up later won't, but these guys are are ready to go. And so we are um, incredibly uh, pleased with where they're at. Um, I specifically, obviously, they're going to have to play football before we know who can uh, help us compete next fall, and and who can't. Um, but I will say that we've been very pleased uh, by those mid-year guys that are here. Um, that goes for our transfers um, that have come through here, like uh, Mookie. That goes for our uh, junior college guys uh, that have come through here, like uh, Realists and JD. And, and then we've got these freshmen that have really jumped both feet in. And we're excited to see um, not just our in-state footprint, you know, Tyler and Dominic and Ryan and Connor and those guys, but also our, our out-of-state um, guys that have come in. Zaquan Reeves uh, has showed up and done a nice job for us early on. And and uh, I don't know that I can name every single one of them, but we've been very pleased with the class so far. JC, uh, Ted Farnan asked, uh, touching on some of this morning's news, will Tennessee's hiring of Jake Bresky affect Mizzou's recruiting process or any possible recruits at all? And I also wanted to give you a chance to comment on, uh, on Brett Whiteside, who was – shortly thereafter uh, named to, as, as his replacement. Absolutely. Well, listen, hey, we uh, couldn't have done what we did without Jake Bresky. Jake came in and did a fantastic job. He was an unbelievable team player transitioning from the old staff to the new staff. I know he had great relationships with the previous staff, uh, and he developed great relationships with our staff. And he was uh, um, a big part. Hopefully he would say, you know, the same thing, that we helped him uh, develop his craft, and, and, and now he can go be in a position where he can – uh, help them. Obviously, I hope he doesn't help them too much, but because uh, we got to compete against him. But we've got nothing but good things to say about Jake and, and the time that he invested here with us. Um, I, there's certain things that you've got to always work through. I know that the um, IAWP applies in certain areas to some of those things. So you just, you know, um, I, I'm sure that their staff will sort through what that means. Um, I, I think that Tennessee certainly has a different footprint recruiting than we do. And, and there will be some crossover and we're going to have to out recruit them and we're gonna have to get them on our campus and we're gonna have to you know show them our goals and our vision and, and make sure that we do that and, and while um you know jake will contribute to their program in a positive manner I, I i don't know that it's gonna be you know a huge impact one way or another on us he was a huge impact before and moving forward we got to continue to develop and uh, to close that gap you know so um to comment on brett Whiteside. Uh, Brett was kind of in that same group, that, that original national championship team in 2010. He was a student assistant um, 
if you can believe it back then. And, and he came probably for worse than I did. He came to Arkansas State and was basically Coach Malzahn's operations guy um, while he was still an undergraduate student. So he, uh, he managed, I mean, he was uh, saving planes and uh, organizing our recruiting and doing all kinds of stuff for us, you know, at a young age and did a great job there. He certainly worked his way up and developed his craft there at Auburn for Coach Malzahn the last um, eight years that they were there. And um, it, it's uh, a great opportunity to get him back on board. I know Coach Drinkwitz and him have had a long relationship he brings a great professionalism to what we're doing. He's great from an organizational standpoint. Um, he knows how to recruit at the highest level. Those guys at Auburn have done a good job for a long time, and he's going to you know, bring an added dimension to what it is that we're doing um, as we continue to professionalize our recruiting department. And uh, really, really excited to have Brett. And I know he's already jumped in there, and, and um, uh, he he's uh, – you know, technically was still finishing his uh, contract there at Auburn during January while he was, you know, doing what he could for us legally. And mm -hmm. so um, we uh, I know he was chomping at the bit to get on campus and, and he's been here two feet in this week. Well, and it's interesting for people that are confused, like you are the recruiting coordinator. Brett's title is the director of recruiting. So these recruiting departments are something that really, I think, just in the last five to 10 years have, have become such a big thing. And I know you guys have a, a number of people over there. Kevin Pendleton, a, a former player is involved. Um, and, and I know some other former players at other times have been involved. So it, can you tell fans what that department specifically does that makes your guys job easier when you do go, I, I say go out because eventually you'll be able to go out and recruit kids again, but when, <laughs> no, no, you know, right. uh, what they do kind of laying the groundwork and how that department functions with you guys who actually are doing the active recruiting of the kids. That's right. Well, a, a lot of it has to do with efficiency and a lot of it has to do with the, like you had mentioned, you alluded to there was the nature of recruiting has been, has become so accelerated um, with the advancement in technology with the, uh, you know, truthfully the advancement of, um, what it is that y'all do with your website, what it is that these recruiting services is, have been able to do with um, their uh, websites and what it is that they provide. So um, what they do is they streamline the process for us. They go in and we, we kind of divide it. Like you said, we've got um, Brett, who's the chief recruiting officer. He kind of operates and sees both sides of it. He works closely with me on, on kind of establishing Coach Drink's you know, vision for what it is he's got for our program here. And then we've got a, an on-campus um, director of on-campus recruiting, which uh, effectively shifted to director of virtual recruiting this past year. But again, we'll be when we get to start hosting visitors again, that's kind of their primary uh, deal. You know, we've got uh, during the recruiting process to be as simple as you can, you've got um, your identification uh pillar, you've got your evaluation pillar, you've got your, you know, actual recruiting pillar, and then you've got your customer service pillar. So um, those first two, that identification and evaluation operate through one half of the um, recruiting department, which would be our off-campus guys, our, our scouting, you know, that would include Jared Russell, that would include uh, Kevin Pendleton, Christian Hines, those guys. Um, that have come in and what they do is they are the front end of the scouting. I mean, you got to imagine 20 years ago, 
you may have 100 names to recruit starting this time of year. Now we have close to 10,000 names to recruit. So it's uh, and being able to sort through those um, and huddle has been magnificent, obviously, as far as access to uh, film and what it is that they can do. And and, and um, the uh, just all those services are able to do that. And then so we have that identification and then the evaluation stage. They help. Obviously, our coaches have a huge hand uh, in that, but they just streamline that process for us. Instead of Coach Johnson having to watch just 200 random linemen, we can uh, get those filtered down to where he's watching 30, and he can you know, rank his board from there. And then we can truly get down into the world of, all right, how do we evaluate? How do you evaluate during a virtual season? How do you evaluate when you've got to call high school coaches who are probably the real heroes of this whole thing while they're taping tape measures to the gym wall and taking pictures of this and making measurements of your hand and all kinds of stuff like that. They're doing an outstanding job for us, right? But then on the flip side, uh, you've got this recruiting component, um, which includes organizing everyone that's on campus. That organizes our equipment room, organizes our weight room, organizes our academic center, organizes our training room, organizes just a simple facility tour, or organizes a campus tour, or organizes a dorm tour. And, you know, so they, they go through great lengths to make sure that that's organized. Certainly right now, virtually, uh, when we do have the opportunity to host uh, players again, uh, then that becomes a live, you know, situation. And then, you know, there's the element of com- customer service, making sure that you feel uh, the, you know, if family first, if it's, if it's about you, if it's making the customer feel like this is the product that you've got to buy, uh, then, then they've got a role in that, right? And that's Tori Washburn and Evan Norman. Uh, they come in and do that. And so uh, there, there, are, there is a lot uh, that goes into recruiting. I think it's the most unique sales pitch in the world because you're trying to convince 18-year-old young men uh, to choose. You know, I, we always say, and it's some different now, but in high school, you go where you live. When you go to the NFL, they pick you. But when you're in college, that's the only time that they got control of the choice. They, they got to pick you. And so... Um, it, it is a unique sales job, you know, and um, there's a lot goes into that. And, and, and they do a great job streamlining that for us. And really, they're the, they're the engine room, right? They're, they're the ones that are shoveling coal to make the, the boat go. And our coaches step up and, and do a great job within the parameters that these, you know, with what we set. And then these guys do a great job organizing and, and, and helping our coaches do, the, do their job most efficiently. Well, that was a cool peek behind the curtain. I think uh, a lot of people watching probably didn't uh, know all that. So that's a uh, cool. I appreciate that explanation. But in, in addition to, you know, being the recruiting coordinator, you're also the tight ends coach, obviously, uh, you know, uh, one of the, the on-field assistants for this team. And Eric G is asking, uh, what are we getting in the two, ti- two tight end signees for this class, which would be uh, Ryan Hurstcamp, who's already on campus, I believe, and also Gavin McKay? I love Ryan and Gavin. I think that they are both um... – we got kind of some cool things. Keep a heads up tomorrow on social media. We got some good stuff that'll be good content for um, really learn about these kids. And our, uh, our, that same recruiting department that I was talking about spent a lot of time uh, doing a great job getting that prepared. But um, uh, Ryan is here. Uh, obviously, he's an in-state guy that came that uh, kind of grew up a Mizzou fan. That's what I think we were trying to tap into that at Coach Drinkwitz's first ever um you know, his press conference when he when he introduced and, and making sure that we identified those guys that grew up with a little bit of uh, black and gold in their blood. And so 
Um, but Ryan has been great. Obviously, he's got amazing versatility. Uh, he's got great toughness. I think he's their school's all-time leading basketball scorer. So he is, I mean, he is a well-rounded athlete, a well-rounded player. Um, he understands space and balance and and um, how to make plays on, on not just your opponent, but make plays on the ball. And so we're really um, excited about having him. He's already... 230 pounds. I mean, he's a guy, and he's like 4% body fat or something. So he's going to be a big joker when he gets going. Um, he's, he's very professional. He's very um, driven. I think he's very focused on specific goals about what he wants for his life. I think that's one thing that Coach Drinkwitz has been hammered into us since he's got here. He talks about fit, focused intangibles, talented and tough. And, and uh, Ryan fits all four of these. And, um, we are really excited to have him. Gavin is a is a unique uh, had a unique opportunity with him. I was actually Gavin McKay's first ever college football offer. So uh, we were I was at UAB. We did a drop in Memphis, and I ran into Gavin. Had an opportunity to come back and watch him practice, and then he left football practice and went to pole vault practice. And so and he was two hundred and five pounds jumping however many feet on the pole vault. And I said, holy cow, who is this guy? <laughs> and at the time, he really hadn't played a whole lot because he was a receiver. And so, but I, you know, I felt at that time where I was, boy, I'm going to get behind the eight ball if I don't offer. So we were able to do that, found out, you know, his family history. He's got a dad that played professionally and actually played at Washington when Gary Pinkle was there. So had some connections with our program and his mom's, uh, father was in the Packers organization when Zach Woodfin, our strength coach was there. So we just kept, we had some natural connections that existed there. Um, I, obviously while I was still at UAB, he came to Missouri, got an offer from, uh, that staff. Um, when we landed back here and I, he was, you know, on, on their board, he had was like the number one or number two guy on their board. And we went back and reevaluated that junior tape. And I thought, you know, he had recruited himself past UAB and then boy, there's a God thing showing up again. And there I was, and, and we were able to, you know, immediately take up that relationship that we'd kind of already built. Um, I, I think that Gavin brings a unique skill set in that he's got professional wide receiver skills. I don't, you know, he's not a four, four guy. He's not uh, necessarily, but he does, he runs great. He is big. He's got kind of un tamed athleticism right now so he's gonna be a guy that's transitioning to a new position um he'll come in here at 225 pounds and be i don't know if you saw last summer he put out a, a twitter video of him doing like four black backflips in a row so i mean he's got some unique athleticism we're really excited to get him in here and and his background and, and get to work with him um this summer casey along the lines of the tight end question i'm curious uh how many times in the future of coaching tight ends you will play the video of Daniel Parker blocking against Arkansas for you guys? <laughs> that's a good. That's a bit. It'll be my intro video to uh, about every one of them. So uh, no, Daniel brings a. Um, uh, that's an elite skill set. There, mm -hmm. there are very few people that can do the things he does. I would put him up against any blocking tight end in the in the SEC. And what people really don't know about Daniel is that he is a well-rounded athlete. He is um, he snatches the ball out of the air when he catches it. I think there's – you probably – Every time we talked to him last year, he told us he had the best hands in the SEC. So <laughs> He's got good hands. He's got good hands. And if people don't – you know, the, the he caught a little flat route versus Alabama last year. So, I mean, we're playing them, and he 
was able to shimmy and make a move around the safety and, and got up the field for seven yards. And it probably went unnoticed, you know, just on tape as you're just watching this seven yard gain to the tight end. But it was wow, you know, when you see him, uh, the, his, the ability that he's got to move and, and gain yardage and, and do some things. So uh, I, I expect Daniel, as he continues to mature and continues to invest himself in this football uh, thing, that he, he's got a future ahead of him. And, and um, uh, certainly he'll, he will always be highlighted by uh, that, that. That'll be when you see him uh, go across the draft screen here in a couple of years. That'll be the highlight that they're showing. But um, really excited to have Daniel. Uh, he's taken on more of a leadership role. And um, we look, we look, we're expecting big things out of him. Going back to the uh, the the Gavin Gavin McKay story, kind of leads into a question one of our viewers had, which is, and I think every staff handles this a little bit different. But can you explain the process of what goes into making a, an actual offer to a kid? And I think sometimes that that word is, I think sometimes kids misinterpret an offer. An offer means different things. But but to officially offer a kid a spot in your class, what goes into that? Uh, for, is that like a staff-wide consensus, or does each position coach have, have some freedom uh, of his own? Right. Well, so that's a good question. Um, I We have, and that's, again, that's part of the um, recruiting philosophy that we were able to come in and implement. So our, our philosophy um, was obviously to start in-state and move out. So there's, I, I believe that we counted 419 football-playing schools in Missouri and then on the on the Kansas City and, and St. Louis sides of, of Illinois and Kansas. And so, the, you know, we were operating off of that number as far as our, our in-state goes. So we when we extend an offer and the state of Missouri, boy, that is we are going we're coming to get you, you know, and that is something that we want to make sure that we do. As far as going into that, the um, it's it's an extensive process. So it's it's not kind of willy nilly. The running backs coach is going and watching his however many he wants and he's going to go get who he does. It's, it's a, there is a submitter, what we call a submitter. And that could be the area coach. That could be someone in our recruiting department. That could be just a unsolicited email. That could be a number of things, right? That could be some guy that shows up on rivals with a Iowa offer or something. So he goes to a submitted. We have a, a website or, or, or a, a system, uh, basically a database system that holds all this information um, we will, that guy will be evaluated at the area. So we are an area based recruiting staff. So it'll, the area coach will be the first guy that we, and what that does, that allows you to get just another set of eyes. And that makes sure that we don't miss, you know, when we say we're going to hit every all 114, four, I'm sorry, 419 football playing schools in, in the, in our footprint, our home state footprint, we're going to hit them, you know, and this allows us to do that. And so, uh, once he gets approval from that guy, it's it's we're really yes no from there. So if the if the area coach says yes, he passes it on to the to the position coach. If he says no, okay, well he's got a guy that he knows about in his area that he can comment on later if we need to. And then so the position coach does the same thing, yes or no. If he says yes, it goes to the uh, side of the ball. So it goes to the offensive staff or it goes to the defensive staff, or it can be a hold and. Uh, for instance, if I, I've got a tight end that, um, boy, the area coach passed him to me, thought he was good. You know, I need to see maybe a little bit something more in camp. Then that, that's somebody that it's good because now I know about him and I can reevaluate him at a later date. So it, and, and also the area coach knows about him as somebody that he's passed on. So and then so it goes to the staff and then the staff gets together offensively or defensively and, and makes a consensus. Now you've got 
uh, four to six guys sitting in there saying yay or nay, um, you know, that, that allows us at that point, you know, you gain a little bit more information every time you go through that process. Okay. All right. He, he passed the position coach. Well, when the position coach goes in there, he better be able to say, uh, he's got, uh, both parents are at home. He's got this GPA. He's never had a concussion in his life, you know, or, and then when we go to the, and then it goes, passes another test. Now we're sitting there as an offensive staff. For instance, we were watching a prospect the other day. Um, and we were like, gosh, we got to get some feedback on this guy. So we were able to call two opponent high, high school coaches that had played him uh, during his, his junior year. Boy, we can go in there. We called those guys, put him on speakerphone, asked him questions about what they thought, how they approached him, what it was. Get, you know, just any, any informational feedback that allows us to say, man, this is really somebody that we, we need to invest in, or maybe we got to find out more information. And so at that point as a staff, we either say, all right, we're going to send him to Coach Drink, or we're going to put him, you know, we're going to put him in this holding pattern. And, and again, now you have another group of guys that you can access that maybe the position coach liked that we can revisit if we lose somebody on the board. And so then it becomes to that last point, and that's Coach Drinkwitz. And he's, uh, he does a great job, in my opinion, of holding us accountable uh, to saying this is who we want to recruit, you know, Coach. Why, all right, why do you want to recruit him? Can we get him? Uh, what's his GPA? Is he fit? Is, is he focused? Does he have intangibles? Is he talented? Is he tough? Can you prove it? You know, and 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 we got to go in there with that information. And and once we do that, and he gives um, final approval, then it's the race is on. You know what I mean? Then we get the and then uh, particularly, uh, you know, we try to get everyone involved that's in that chain. Now you've got an area coach that's invested in this. You've got a position coach that's invested in this. You really have an offensive or defensive staff that says uh, you don't have the tight ends coach not knowing which offensive tackle we're offering or a, tight, or a running backs coach not knowing who we're taking that defensive end or something, you know, so we um, have a chance to do that. And then we go in there with Coach Drink. He gives us the go-ahead, and, and it really becomes a team effort from recruiting. And that served us well. We've got a great staff that really gets along. And, and it can get pretty heated in there. It can get, man, I really like this guy. Well, why do you like him? He's, I don't think he's worth. And then it's proved to me we ought to take him. And I tell you what you get when you get out of that, you get a, you get a solid consensus opinion with a, bu a bunch of different – you get well-educated opinion. And, um, and so that way uh, – and truthfully, what it does too, guys, is it's when we go back and we get so-and-so uh, -so, uh, running back committed, then – we don't go back in and say, uh, that guy, that, I didn't like that guy. He wasn't worth anything. No, you sat in there and you had your opportunity to talk and, and do that. And so it's, you know, it, it really, it gives us a team consensus. It gives us a team and, and coach drink has done a great job of promoting that atmosphere of, of getting everybody pulling in the same direction, not just in our building. He's done that with recruiting and he's done that with our fan base. I think to a degree, our administration, our team, uh, and, and hopefully that continues to show up, but uh, as well as on the field, but as, as also in recruiting. So, Casey, one more question for me. Uh, you know, we're about 11 months into this pandemic here where, you know, you haven't had the ability to to get out and, and recruit players in person and get, bring players to campus. I know you want all of that to change, but it, are there any aspects of recruiting or, or changes to recruiting that have happened over that time that you think might be kind of here to stay? Um, I certainly think the uh, virtual aspect of this thing has changed the game. I, I think that you've got um, an opportunity to, if you do it the right way, you've got an opportunity to, to give good information, quality information to these guys that are seeking quality information. 
And uh, what that does is then I, I do think that as challenging as it's been for this class and really the class of 22, because they're missing a lot of opportunity. We don't really know where the NCAA is going to go with their final decision uh, for the spring and summer. Um, they've had to be really mature um, about making these decisions. They've had to uh, invest time in these visits to say, boy, I'm going to sit down and pay attention to what's going on. They, do, they don't have time to uh, just go enjoy spring break and hit 12 schools just because it's fun and I get to put on a jersey. You know, they, they've got to be serious about you in order to do that. And I think that there's um, – I think what you'll see is you will see um, guys that are well-educated, you know, probably – I think I said this maybe back in the summer, guys that are even more so educated earlier – educated than they've ever been and that particularly in this class of 22 I mean I think that the guys um, that are committing are guys that uh, feel like they've had their questions answered you know and um, and so I, I think that you'll continue to see some of that um, obviously the dynamic of opening back up just allows it's it's easier it's more complete evaluation it's more complete uh, feel. I think that the feel thing still exists about being around, you know, uh, this this is the feel that I'm looking for. I'm looking for a uh, professional uh, NFL uh, factory, or I'm looking for maybe a family atmosphere that's going to, you know, treat me right and it's going to be my home away from home. You know, there's different approaches to each of those and, and what it is that we're trying to sell. But um, I, I do think that uh, that virtual screening will exist to help set hooks to help guys find out if they're uh, seriously interested in what it is that you're doing. And it saves, um, I think, again, it, it just makes the process more efficient and it'll, uh, it'll help those guys that are making decisions um, narrow down their, their actual travel, their physical travel, probably down more than, uh, than it's been. And, and, um, and just be more focused. I, I think that, what this thing has done is it's made um, it, it's made our our recruiting our football recruiting more intentional uh, about informing these guys the the right way. It's not just about get them to campus all the time. Um, it's about intentional quality information that you're presenting to them. And then um, for the prospects, it's it's um, forcing them to again be more mature, be more informed. Uh, about their decisions maybe than they had in the past. It's, it's less of a, not, not that all prospects are like this, but it's, there's less gamesmanship. It's less just enjoying, you know, putting on a bunch of jerseys and more, okay, I got to focus on, on what my future is. And so it's, um, I think it's taught us lessons in that. And, and we'll certainly be able to uh, utilize the technology advances that we've had over the past year to continue to push what it is that we want to do. And, and then, but yet we've still got this uh, spectacular $100 million football facility that we got to get these guys to see. So it's, um, there's nothing like the real thing and having them here. So we look forward to the opportunity to getting these guys um, on campus. All right, Casey, we'll wrap you up on a little bit of a lighter note. We had Coach Drinkwitz on this show last week, and he, uh, it struck me in the times we've talked to him, he is always on. Um, you know, he's a, he's always got, <laughs> got a quick remark. Uh, energy is the first word everybody, uh, uses to talk about him so without doing anything that will get you in trouble with your boss or anything give us tell us what it's like working for is he like that every day give us a give us an Eli Drinkwood story that that we might not know um 
you know, uh, I do think that Coach Drink um, brings it every day. And I think that there is, um, uh, you know, when I first met Coach Drinkwitz, um, and everyone probably gets this uh, at some point or another, he, he's incredible high energy. He's incredibly positive all the time. Um, he is, he, he's so, he, he's, he's an every man's kind of guy in the sense that he's relaxed from the standpoint of when you meet him, you know, when you shake his hand for the first time, um, it's, I don't want to use the word unassuming, but there's a, there's a little bit of a non-threat. He presents himself as very non-threatening, but I remember the very first time that I met him. Uh, so the three GAs that were together at, uh, Auburn were me, um, Eli and Rhett Lashley, who's now the offensive coordinator at Miami. Um, and so Rhett and had known Eli from their time in Arkansas um, together. And he said, don't let this guy fool you now. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to, uh, when you meet him, he's going to be super nice, super positive. He said, but watch you now. He'll show some teeth. And, um, and he really does. He's, he's kind of got, he's got some shark in him um, that when he's ready to make a point uh, to our team, to our staff, uh, to recruiting, to me, to anybody, he can flip the switch uh, really quick um, in, in such a way that it's not uh, rude or condescending or anything like that. But he goes from a uh, nice, unassuming guy that, you know, wears glasses and Andy Reid's T-shirt to all of a sudden, oh, boy, he's, you know, he's talking to me and I need to perform for him. <laughs> so it's, um, he's an incredible guy. Uh, I tell you, we, we were fortunate to come in at the time that we did um, together and it was you know I was just coming off my big volunteer uh, deal so I had just gotten a $9,000 raise um, I think he was coming off of a full time job and it probably pay cut down to nine so we were making about the same but but our path there had been a little different um, he had a wife and a baby uh, Addison who's gosh dang she's she was in our wedding when she was just a little girl my, me and my wife but I remember we uh, <laughs> this is uh, kind of a funny story between probably Lauren will probably get after me and Lindsay for this one. But so we lived off of this. We lived in these little one bedroom uh, apartments off of the Tuskegee Highway. So, I mean, it was all you could pull together for like four fifty a month, you know. And um, so uh, Lauren was uh, out there living and, and, and Eli and Lindsay lived uh, kind of just across the parking lot from us there and another one with Addison. And they were, you know, it was got, you, you think being a coach's wife is hard, be a GA's wife. And um, <laughs> those dudes, God, God bless them. And so um, I remember that uh, uh, Lauren, my wife used to go over to uh, Lindsay's house and Lindsay would cook her dinner in exchange for babysitting Addison. So they were, I mean, you can imagine we're, we're bringing home a combined $18,000. And so they're over there scrounging, sharing uh, spaghetti while Lauren's take, just to give Lindsay a break from the baby. And so he lived off of those deals. But when you look back at those times, you laugh to, you know, to be where you are. But, th but those are the moments that kind of shape you and challenge you. And if you can push through those and, and do that, then it, it gives you, you know, God willing, an opportunity one day to, uh, I'm very fortunate uh, that he's my boss. It, it's awesome that we're friends and, and it just makes me want to work that much harder for him. Uh, so he can have success. And, and, um, now that we're at this place, I, I don't, you know, I, I, being a coach's kid, uh, I've learned, uh, the easiest, you know, the easiest thing that I can do in my life is buy in. And so it's, uh, you know, having the ability to, uh, 
shape something that's great and push it further than it's ever been. Um, like the Missouri football program um, is it, we're in an awesome place and, and really excited to be here and be a part of this. Well, Casey, we've taken uh, way too much of your time tonight, but really appreciate you joining us. And I know uh, a lot of the people watching got to, got to learn a few things. Uh, so appreciate that. And who knows, maybe there'll be a time down the road. We actually, uh, you know, see in person and cover a practice or something. Well, if I can figure out how to ever operate this, um, <laughs> this video button, then that would probably help you. So I'm sorry about that, but it's my, uh, strength is not in computers, but it yeah. is in, uh, recruiting and coaching ball. So, uh, appreciate you guys for having me. Um, look forward to getting back sometime and, uh, we'll get the video feed worked out next time. All right. Have a good one, Casey. Thanks, man. Thanks, Thank Casey. M-I-Z. All right, Casey Woods, Missouri's tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator. Uh, appreciate him spending, I mean, close to a full hour with us. Uh, and, and hopefully you guys learned some things there and, um, you know, talked a little bit about individual players, but really more wanted wanted him on to talk about the process and, and all that. Um, so hopefully you guys enjoyed that. And uh, Mitch certainly uh, did not um, – he did not disappoint in his ability to fill our show and, uh, and say many things. He's, he's a good talker. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I thought it was, you know, cool. I thought he gave a really nice kind of behind the curtains peek at a few aspects when you're talking about, you know, the process, what goes into an offer and, you know, stuff during this pandemic year and, and just kind of how the recruiting department works and all that. And I think, you know, I think that's something that a lot of people, you know, who, who, or subscribe to our site, even if they know a lot about recruiting, follow it closely, might not have known. So I uh, thought that was uh, thought that was neat. Yeah. So uh, real quick before we go, uh, Missouri and Kentucky play tomorrow. And Mitch, here's the night in SEC basketball: Old Miss fifty-two, Tennessee fifty. Ooh, that's a disaster. Um, yeah. in, at least for one team, Georgia ninety-one, Auburn eighty-six. Uh, wow. Both of those teams four and six and. With five minutes left in the first half, Arkansas is on a huge run to draw within 18-13 of Mississippi State. They were down 16-5 with eight minutes to go in the first half. Arkansas is like the worst first half you, team ever. Yes. Like if, they're, they're down by – they're down – like they don't just get down in first halves. They get down by impossible margins. Like the, against LSU, they were down by 31. I think against yeah. Bama, they were down by 20-plus. I mean, it's, it's hard to do. They should just tell the other team, look, you're ahead by 20. We're only going to play 20 minutes. We'll do, but yeah. their players might confuse that for being the first half, and then they might lose by 45. So, Right. That's a good point. Risky strategy. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, Mizzou, Kentucky tomorrow, signing day tomorrow, um, sort of. I mean, it's, you know, it sounds like, honestly, from what Casey was saying, a lot of Missouri stuff is going to be focused on the kids who have already signed and, and kind of mm -hmm. putting out some content on them because we just don't expect a whole lot to happen tomorrow. Right. Yeah. I think like we mentioned, you know, BJ Harris, maybe a couple more guys getting, you know, official, but yeah, I think for the most part, the, the recruiting class is done and there's a, you know, maybe a transfer or two still coming at between now and fall camp, but that won't be enough tomorrow. Yep. All right. Well, Mitch, appreciate it, man. We should do this. Uh, we should find somebody every week who will just do most of the talking. It's easier. this. Yeah. Time. I'm like cool it. with that. That's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good one, man. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks everybody for watching before you leave. Um, you got to do two things. Remind you to go to 573tees.com. Check them out. They're a sponsor of this show every single week. They've been with us for about a year now. Done a lot for us. Hopefully we can do some things for them and, and direct people to their site and, uh, 
and send some business their way. So do that before you log off here. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. You'll be able to find out when we go live. I'll be live tomorrow night at uh, 5 o'clock for pregame of Mizzou, Kentucky, and we'll have all your coverage. So uh, thanks for watching. We'll talk to you next week.